0: Six, seven, eight. You know Greta and Jordan, Lion King and Twilight, McCullough and Smith, Scream and Denny in the spotlight, but can you recall the most regretful series of
1: all? Dirty Rotten Scoundrels was the series that we did this year dirty rotten scoundrels filled us all with so much fear dirty rotten scoundrels <laughs>
0: only three episodes but so long dirty rotten scoundrels
1: <laughs> this year you're only getting one song
0: oh wow that was beautiful merry christmas oh, 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 oh. Happy New Year, Uh, Happy Holidays, and etc.
1: Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, everyone. God bless us, everyone. And today we're lucky to be joined by the Tiny Tim of the Cinema Bums team. Laura Bennett is here with us.
2: (laughs) Sorry, I could not at all help with that song. (laughs) It's mostly Uh, because I had no idea... (laughs) <laughs> what song you guys were actually singing. Because <laughs> it sounded nothing like <laughs> Rudolph the red Nose Reindeer.
1: <laughs> well, it clearly said at the top to the tune of Rudolph the red Nose Reindeer. So. Uh,
2: I saw what it was supposed to be set to.
1: <laughs> this is the first of two holiday specials we're having this year. This is ooh, our last ooh. episode of 2021. Wow. And this one is going to be dedicated to to all the movies of 2021, the new movies that we watched this year, and then next week, our first of the new year, we'll be talking about the old movies we watched this year. But I guess I want to start by asking, how did we watch movies this year? New movies coming out. Did we go to the theaters? Did we wait for streaming? Did we see things uh, digital? How did our attitudes about that change after 2020?
2: Yeah, I feel like it was a combination still of streaming and in the movie theater, but I do feel like I was at the movies way more than last year, seeing like premieres and new movies, really kicking that back into gear, which felt nice.
0: I think I still probably watched as few movies in theaters as I did in 2020. I think the only ones I can remember for sure seeing in theaters were Candyman and Dune. And there's probably another couple that we watched together in Charlotte that I'm just blanking on right now. But still, that seems like way down from when we used to live in Atlanta and go to the theaters like at least once every two weeks. I miss that a lot. But I think that also has to do with many things, including the pandemic, but not limited to the not limited to the pandemic. I was also on Ocracoke for a much longer chunk of time this year, and so that made it that's like mm-hmm. always just the access to going to watch movies is so much harder here because it takes like three hours one way to get to a movie theater. So, you know, I was, only, I was being pretty selective about it. And to be honest, I didn't really watch that many new movies at all this year. I was watching a lot of movies for the podcast. And then when I was watching stuff, I was either rewatching old movies that I love kind of like comfort movies or just like watching older movies that I hadn't seen before, kind of going on a couple different like research dives that I've been on this year for different things that the podcast brought up that I was interested in. How about you, Wade?
1: Well, we definitely went back to the theaters um, after getting vaccinated. There was kind of a moment at the very start of the summer where it was like, oh, we're vaccinated. Everything is excellent. We're going to be back in the theaters And then things got a little worse again and we were not for a while. But I would say the last couple months has there's been sort of like the holiday rush. I've seen a lot of stuff. It still feels a little weird sitting directly next to strangers. I definitely missed the 2020 policy of having a buffer seat in the middle. Mm -hmm. I noticed that I think because of the pandemic, I was more okay waiting on stuff. Like there were a bunch of movies that I was like, Oh, I kind of want to see this. Like, I do want to see this for my end of the year list, but I am fine with waiting two weeks until it's at home because I know that it's only two weeks as opposed to like two months like it used to be, you know? So that was definitely a change I noticed in myself. I did just want to talk for a second too about HBO Max because... That was something that we mentioned last year. Obviously, this whole year they've had their same-day premieres, uh-huh. which I think has felt like the coolest thing in the world. I know that every filmmaker, including Denny, totally hates it. Yeah, but just where every Warner Brothers movie that came out this year came out at the same exact time in to watch online, mm-hmm. and I thought that was really cool because I felt like I had like every use case for it. Like there were some. Some movies that I just saw in theaters because I wanted to. Some movies that I wouldn't have paid money to watch in a theater, but I did watch because they were online. Mm -hmm. And then some movies that I went to a theater to watch and then came back home and watched on HBO Max too. And some movies that I did really want to see and I was like, well, it's so much easier to put this up at home rather than going to the theater. So
0: I will say it was very helpful that it was released same day release as Dune because I missed, like we were late getting to the theater and I missed the first like 10, 15 minutes of Dune. Went in, watched it anyway. And then knowing that I could immediately go home, watch the first 15 minutes and watch the whole thing back through again if I wanted to and rewatch it. And, you know, we love rewatching Denny's movies, I feel like, especially.
2: I just feel like HBO Max has really pulled ahead, pulled ahead this year of the other streaming. Yeah. Maybe they were slow coming out of the gate during the pandemic, but now they're... They've like slowly built up these
0: deals. I feel like their TV shows are like the most popular, like Succession and Insecure are like the two most popular TV shows or something. You know, it's like those are both HBO Max TV shows as well. So it's like they are kind of centralizing all of that. TV looks more like movies and their movies are now getting
1: streamed like TV. Well, the other thing is that they're not doing it next year, they've already said. Oh, interesting. Supposedly, like, just a pandemic thing. And what they're trying to do, which I'm very... Which doesn't sound like it's going to be as good to me, but they're trying to, like, make a lot of movies that go straight to HBO Max instead. Oh, uh uh-huh. And I kind of wonder if this is something where you can't put it back in the bottle. I mean, we'll see. But I wonder if this is, like... Like, when MoviePass failed every like theater had to do their own version of it because people were then just like conditioned to being able to yeah. pay a monthly fee and see anything they wanted. So I don't know like the full level of success, but I do wonder if it's something we're going to see other companies doing more of. I have also note. I think that we have started to see some of the COVID productions come in. Mm. I think we've seen it in a couple of ways. I think in some ways there's like more of a CGI shine on things in a lot of movies I've been noticing that they're just like covering up more in post to make up for the fact that they can't do as much in person. The prime example of this is Red Notice where Gal Gadot is like walking out of CGI water. <laughs> like they could even shoot an actual pool. So she just like climbed a ladder and then they CGI'd her into a pool. But then the other flip side is I think we're seeing a lot of stuff where uh, like much smaller productions or people are in smaller groups. Like obviously there was that Jake Gyllenhaal movie that was only him and everyone else was in voiceover on a lot of TV shows, including sex education. It was sort of like people are in small groups, like mm-hmm. the characters are in small groups. We mm-hmm. just saw the trailer for that. Uh The new Fantastic Beast movie where, like, there are no more than five people in any scene over the whole, like, three-minute trailer. So it is, like, very obvious that that is a COVID production.
2: I know that um, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel has a season coming out in January. Friend of the pod, Corey, was an extra on it. And they were filming during the pandemic and had to basically have their masks on at all times. And then right as the director or whoever was saying, like, like, action or whatever they'd be like ripping their masks off and throwing them in their pockets. So Corey was like, you might see just like masks hanging out of pockets because it was just like such a crazy thing. And I'm sure not even all shows or like movies could even have all those extras. I feel like that filmed in in a phase of the pandemic where it wasn't like horrible, but yeah, they were still having to do that while filming.
1: So this year we finally got like, most of the movies that were supposed to come out in 2020 all kind mm. of came out. So I feel like now what's really on the docket is stuff that is that was either made half before, half after, or stuff that is fully...
0: Fully during, yeah. Uh,
1: moving right along, last year we talked about it being the year of plays being adapted to film. This year, perhaps the year of the live-action musical. I've got a list here. Obviously animated musicals come out all the time. This is a list of all the live-action musicals that dropped this year. In the Heights, Annette, Diana the Musical, Cinderella, Respect, Come From Away, Everybody's Talking About Jamie, Dear Evan Hansen, Tick Tick Boom, West Side Story, and Cyrano. A huge amount of musicals. How do we feel about this overall, and where did we see some succeed and others fail?
0: I feel like it's honestly better for uh, movies to be ripping off like Broadway musicals than it is for Broadway musicals to be based off of Disney movies and like TV shows. I've heard that West Side Story is going to get an Oscar for being a musical without James Corden in it.
2: I mean, I always enjoy watching them. I like to see the adaptations. Still upset I didn't get to see Dear Evan Hansen, but that's all right. One day I will. I think surrounding that, I feel like there's always like a conversation about whether or not you're going to cast a musical theater actor or actress or a film actor or actor Mm -hmm. actress. There's usually conversation about that before the film and after the film, depending on the performance. Um, I know a lot of people um are talking about Ben like before. Obviously, we also the trailers, he didn't quite look right, but we're like, maybe he'll still give a great performance, you know, like he knows how to do his role. Then people saw his performance and there was a lot of critique about it being too big for the screen. It being a very theatrical um, Hmm. performance versus like there wasn't a very good transition into the film acting from him. Again, I didn't see it, but that was something I heard. And then with um, Tick, Tick, Boom, before it came out, people were talking about Andrew Garfield and whether or not he was the right choice because he wasn't a musical theater actor and, and what that would look like. But after seeing it, I mean, he did an amazing job. He's a great singer. He like trained for the role in that sense and knew how to act for the screen. And I know In the Heights had a lot of musical theater people as well, but I felt they all gave pretty good performances for the film too. I think it's just kind of up in the air depending on the director as well and like their work with the actors.
1: Yeah, I think Dear Evan Hansen and Tick Tick Boom are interesting inverses of each other. In Dear Evan Hansen, they've got a theater actor for the lead, but everyone else they filled out with movie stars. With Tick Tick Boom, they had Andrew Garfield playing the lead, but everyone else in that is a musical theater actor. Now I want to talk about our MCU minutes. I want to talk about the Marvel things of this year. Now, this is really interesting because in 2019, the MCU finished their so-called Infinity Saga, the thing they set out to do. They told one story across 23 movies and ended it with the biggest movie ever made uh, in terms of box office. And they sort of completed the story. And then because of the pandemic, we didn't get anything at all for 18 months from Marvel. And then this year they raged back with both movies that were in theaters, movies that were on streaming, series that were on streaming that are basically 6-hour long solo movies with a much thinner budgets. So here are all the Marvel the Marvel projects this year in order. We got WandaVision, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Loki, Black Widow, What If?, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, Eternals, Hawkeye and Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, I'm going to send this to Laura first because I assume, Emmett, you've seen all of these and are a ravenous fan. Can't wait to talk about it. But just hold on, Emmett. Just hold on for a minute. Laura, you have been forced to watch almost all of these (laughs) with me. So what did you like?
2: I did enjoy WandaVision. I know Emmett watched that too, right? You watched that, Emmett? Yeah, it was great. It was just a very solid TV show. Very interesting style of TV. I wasn't sure how I felt about it for a while, but I feel like they just did a really great job of connecting everything. I think I ended up liking Falcon and the Winter Soldier a good bit. Again, it took me a long time to get into it. Loki, I don't think I liked very much, although I really wanted to because I love Loki. Yeah, and I guess for the movies, I really enjoyed Black Widow and Shang-Chi. I'm in the middle of watching Hawkeye. Did not enjoy Eternals. There's a lot to talk about here. But I thought it was a pretty successful year for them in general. But I really did not like The Eternals. It was bad. It was just a bad movie. <laughs> it might be a hot take, but like <laughs> it just didn't look very good. There was too much going on. So many characters. And like they just didn't develop these characters enough for me to care about them. And I also didn't think the writing was very good <laughs> or the acting. But everything else was like that I saw it was pretty good. Like, for something I probably wouldn't watch on my own, and then i just sit down and watch because it's on with Wade. I did like a lot of it. A lot of it surprised me. Because I would never seek out and watch these shows on my own. Maybe I would have watched WandaVision. I would never <laughs> Just to clarify, watch. I would absolutely never be caught dead watching these shows on my own volition. <laughs> and um, I can't even believe I have to admit here publicly that I won't. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I feel like they were trying to push push the boundaries, make different things. Uh, not all of them mm-hmm. worked, but a lot of them did. Shang-Chi was very special, like very unique and good. And I feel like that and WandaVision are definitely my top.
1: Yeah, I certainly agree that we did see them try a bunch of different things this year to really branch out. I also really didn't like Eternals, which is sad because I really like the director and cast. And I will say that I'm already pissed off because I could immediately tell when I watched it that it is the one MCU movie that is going to be, like, remembered and celebrated in 30 years. Like, Um, it is obviously the one that's going to be the cult classic where in 30 years people will be like, oh, it's good, actually. We didn't appreciate it at the time. But, like, straight up, it isn't. (laughs) Emmett, what about you? Any MCU thoughts? I know you're the MCU stan of the podcast. Yeah.
0: Uh, so the only one of these that I saw was all of WandaVision and the one like half a scene in the Falcon and the Winter Soldier where they are at Crog Street Bridge in Atlanta. And I loved <laughs> oh, yeah. that part of Falcon and the Winter Soldier because it was like, I've been there. Uh, <laughs> but other than that. Hawkeye looks like the most boring thing I can imagine and not just like not even worthy of Jeremy Renner has been done so dirty by the MCU for so (laughs) long. And now they're going to give him a TV show and it's uh, called Hawkeye. And he's not even hot. Like he's not even the main Hawkeye. I mean, I just think it's, (laughs) I think it's dumb. I think he should get out. I think serious actors should boycott the MCU and leave it to just, like, oh the complete idiots. Like, there's... <laughs> it's a completely... Okay, here's the problem. The MCU has, since Infinity War, been struggling with the fact that they killed off half of the universe, and then they were like, well, obviously we have to bring them all back, but in the interest of making in game an interesting and good movie they made that like really complicated and made it like very hard that people had been gone. And then they came back the same age they had been. And it was like this huge traumatic experience for the whole world. But now everyone is trying to like deal with that in some way in the movies. Like everyone has to like make some sort of reference to like the disaster. That movie came out before the pandemic all this stuff is coming out after the pandemic when the idea of like half the population or a large part of the population just like suddenly not being there anymore feels like a hell of a lot realer now than it did then if you're going to play in that territory i think you need to take it seriously and do it well i think that's something that wandavision is all about like wandavision is entirely about the trauma inflicted on the characters by the previous movie and I think that's what makes it interesting. Like, I think the gimmick of the show is re- a really good gimmick. But I think the reason why it works and like doesn't just become a series of gimmicks is that it is dealing with her very real pain at the bottom of it. And that that actress is mm-hmm. really good in the, in the lead role. Like, everybody's having to deal with that in some way. And it's going to take them a long time. To like return their universes, their universe to a
1: baseline normality,
0: and I don't think they know where they're going next.
1: Yeah, I think you're right about the weird pandemicness of the snap. I also think you're right about Jeremy Renner uh, because the show Hawkeye. I don't know if you know this, mean Hawkeye is about Haley Steinfeld fighting Florence Pugh. <laughs> it doesn't really involve Jeremy Renner at all. That does sound
0: interesting and fun. But it doesn't involve, like, I don't know why Jeremy Renner should be involved in that. They could just get some guy, some middle-aged white guy to stand in the background of shots instead of, and like pay Jeremy Renner also, uh, get, just get that guy to be his stand. Just pay Jeremy Renner a huge severance package and say, I'm sorry we <laughs> ever involved you in all of this. Please go make more good movies now. <laughs> like get back with Denny Villeneuve. We need to see Jeremy Renner coming in as some character in the Dune sequel. Mm-hmm. That's what I would like to see.
2: The whole show is about him not wanting to be Hawkeye. Really. He's and like, who can oh, blame I him? don't want to do this.
1: That's the thing that happened with Black Widow 2, which obviously was Scarlett Johansson's choice because she, like, produced that movie and had huge creative control over that movie. But, like, that's a movie about Florence Pugh and David harbor Mm-hmm. You know, that's made after her character has already died. So, like, what? I don't know. It's just, like, all these weird backdoor sort of pilots. I think it was a pretty middling year for the MCU. I think that my biggest issue with most of it is what Emmett was saying, that it feels like they're not really building to any one thing. There's maybe, like, three different main things that they're maybe building towards, But those things are even not like consistent across projects when you get nine things in one year, as we did this year, there's obviously such like confusion about when everything is set and how it all, and, and because of COVID, a lot of stuff is coming out in a different order than it was supposed Uh, to. Oh yeah. We haven't seen Spider-Man yet, which I'm sure will be fun. Uh, I'm not expecting it to be like great, but I'm sure it will be like a fun watch Even that was supposed to come out after Doctor Strange and has Doctor Strange in it. So they had to do like a ton of last minute rewrites to have it happen before. And I feel like they're just kind of like juggling a little too much to make the connections work, which is what I like about the MCU. But I will say, okay, my favorite of the year was Shang-Chi. That's the only one of these that I would recommend without any qualifiers. I would actually say the only MCU thing since Infinity War. That I would just recommend to everyone without any qualifiers whatsoever. Hmm. It's really good. It's really exciting. You don't need to know anything really to go in and watch it. And what's just so cool about it is seeing like actual martial arts, like actual human bodies doing fights is like so cool and feels so fresh and so different than the other stuff that they've done. And then you've also got, like, all of this wuxia, like, ballet, like, kung fu stuff going on, which is so cool. So, and a great soundtrack. That was by far my favorite of the year. I also want to say that I was really impressed by Loki, although I did not necessarily enjoy watching it. But, like, Loki is the first superhero thing I've ever seen that has, like, the courage and conviction to be itself the whole way through. Hmm. Loki is a show about two people sitting in a room and talking about physics. It's six episodes long. That's what it is the entire time. It never gets action-y. They never have to blow something up. There's never anything exciting. They go different places. There are different combinations of which two people you're watching. But it is like always just good actors with a confusing script sitting and slowly talking about things for six episodes. And the finale, which I have to say has like the best performance I've seen this entire year by Jonathan Majors. The finale is that there are like three characters in a room talking about the fate of the universe. They don't have to take action. They just have to like talk it out. While it wasn't necessarily my jam, I am like so impressed with the courage of its conviction that it really like stuck the whole way through and was itself from minute one to the end of the six episodes.
0: That makes me more interested in it than most other Marvel things I've heard about recently.
1: Very good performance by Owen Wilson too, playing like a more serious part. You know, he's got like short gray hair. It's, uh, it's good. (laughs) Wow. You like his short
2: gray hair? Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. Let's, talk about the actual 2021 movies that we would recommend that we're here to tell you to check out what we liked, where you can find it. Now I want to say that we are recording this December 15th, 2021. So deep breath here. This is what none of us have seen this year. These are the things we missed. So if any of these are your favorite, this is why we're not talking about them is because we have not caught them yet this year. We have not seen the Sparks brothers, Annette. false positive, titan bergman island wheel of fortune and fantasy the souvenir part two passing belfast come on come on king richard the humans drive my car the power of the dog or because we're recording this on the 15th and they haven't been released spider-man no way home nightmare alley being the ricardos the king's man the matrix resurrections parallel mothers don't look up the tragedy of macbeth memoria or the lost daughter that is the list of things that i have heard are worth watching and should be checked out and we have not yet seen obviously a lot of those uh, those more awardsy things our friends will talk about in oscar watch next year mm-hmm. so we'll have a a good opportunity to that but putting those aside i have seen 58 movies holy hell dude as of this moment, that were released in 2021. That is up from uh, 44, which I saw in all of 2020. So including the ones after we did our episode in 2020. Yeah, and and I'll go through my list in a little bit. But before we get there, what do we want to talk about? Tom and Jerry. Tom and Jerry?
2: (laughs) Yep. It was not my favorite movie. But for uh, for the bit, it it is my favorite movie. You know? (laughs)
1: It was kind of good.
2: It was great. First of all, the reason why we moved to New York. So, um, <laughs> when people ask me that at work, that's what I say. They, I say, yeah, you've seen Tom and Jerry, And they're like, yeah. I'm like, not the old cartoon, but the 2021 movie. And they're like, no. And I'm like, well, that's why I moved to New York. The conversation doesn't go much farther than that, because I'm not sure if anyone has really seen that movie. <laughs> Again, we watched it on HBO Max, so thank you to HBO Max. And it was just up on the screen, one of those screensaver movies. It was a masterpiece, number one. Um, Number two, (laughs) uh, a main part of the movie that Tom, the cat, Mm -hmm. had a dream to perform on stage with John Legend. Mm -hmm. You know, that didn't happen in the movie. (laughs) he didn't
1: achieve (laughs) Spoilers for Tom and Jerry
2: (laughs) he didn't achieve that dream and I think that's kind of beautiful that they didn't you know they didn't (laughs) they didn't focus on that you know because life isn't about an hour and a half I have a dream and at the end of that I'm gonna have this dream come true no it's about the work that you put in it's about the time it takes to get there otherwise what would life be if not the journey, you know? So I think it's a really beautiful movie and a reflection of a dreamer. Yeah, five, five stars, five stars. I no actually question.
1: did kind of like Tom and Jerry, which Laura did not, but...
2: No, I loved it. I think I remember loving it.
1: Okay, movie, I want to shout out here <laughs> uh, that I feel like got overlooked, but is truly like a classic of dad cinema. Like the daddiest movie I've seen this year. (laughs) And frankly, thrilling. It was called Nobody. It stars uh, Bob Odenkirk, who is the dad from Little Women, as like a very average suburban man, uh, lives with his family, having trouble with his marriage, boring job he doesn't like. One night, burglars invade his house, and he basically has an opportunity to get a swing on one of them with a baseball bat protect his family he doesn't take it they get away with stuff no one gets hurt and then he kind of goes into this like deep <laughs> dark disturbance about why he couldn't you know take the swing and that leads him to eventually like going out on a hunt for revenge <laughs> this movie has great action scenes it's got it's from the team that did john wick and birds of prey So like the action sequences are so cool and it's very funny to watch like a 60 year old comedian, you know, just a bunch of crazy fighting. But truthfully, all of this is burying the lead. The lead here is that his father is played by the greatest of all time, Christopher Lloyd. The last 30 minutes of this movie are Bob Odenkirk, Christopher Lloyd and the RZA taking on approximately 200 russian gangsters in a giant warehouse (laughs) that they have home alone set to like classical jazz standard movie uh music and it is like unbelievably insane seeing like 90 year old christopher lloyd do things with a shotgun that you can't even imagine it (laughs) it is like just a thrilling movie there's like the first 30 minutes of it have an almost interesting plot. And then that totally gets left behind just to be like an action movie for the last hour. But the action is so good. And Christopher Lloyd is still so charming and so magnetic on screen. So I loved it. Watch it with your dad. It's very violent, but and if anyone wants to bond with their dad this Christmas, throw it on.
0: Hell yeah. I would like to shout out St. Maud mm. in an era of prestige horror this one is like up there it's creepy it's horrible you can't look away it's like a very intimate movie you know it's it isn't it isn't a movie like on the scale necessarily of a midsummer or you know like us or even get out but is like just so like tight and just completely surrounds you in the atmosphere of this place um I think it takes place in on ireland in like rural in like this little rural seaside town and is just the creepiest can't recommend it enough uh it also features a talking cockroach uh, <laughs> who we read
1: a whole article about <laughs> it does this thing with the scares where like it's so tense and it's building up to something horrible happening and then you watch just the beginning of the horrible thing happening and then it cuts to like a different time and place and you're like wait what happened there Mm -hmm. and it like does that a few times which is so effective it's not really a jump scary movie but like literally the last 10 seconds of the movie is a gigantic shocking jump scare that sends you into the credits so may i say
2: it is burned into my mind. Yeah. (laughs) The last 10 seconds of that movie. Yeah.
1: Horrifying. For real. Yeah. Uh, Laura, you got another movie?
2: Well, it's fresh in my mind, so I guess I'll talk about House of Gucci. Mm -hmm. It's currently my phone background. Someone at work said, is that really your phone background? And I said, do you really have no taste? (laughs) 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 Yes. Adam Driver and Lady Gaga dressed in cute winter garb. Is my background? I said it's festive. <laughs> House of Gucci was incredible. Okay, it was over the top. Just some <laughs> really wild storytelling. I had no idea the story of the Gucci family or yeah of the the main characters that Adam Driver and Lady Gaga are playing. So that was really interesting as I was watching. Yeah, I just really enjoyed the performances, the story in general. Who is the who's the actor in it that I usually hate?
1: Jared Leto.
2: Jared Leto. Okay, so I very much dislike Jared Leto, but I will say his performance as Waluigi in this movie was very good. (laughs) Somebody just let him literally do, which I feel like they do a lot, um, whatever he wanted. And this was the one time I can say, like, it worked out for him. Some people may disagree, but I am... (laughs) I think I said this on the last episode I was on, but, like, the over-the-top Italian characters mm. really get me. Yeah. They just work for me. They're so funny. It was
1: a big year for that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> this and Luca are my top movies. So, yeah, no, I really liked it. It's great.
1: Yeah, it's good. It's very synthy. I think you see Adam Driver playing against type a little, particularly yeah. in the first half an hour. And him and Gaga's chemistry chemistry is very good and gaga is very good in it despite it being like a much sillier kind of messier movie i think it is like a worthy follow-up to star is born in terms of like a role worthy of the work she's putting into it very fun a very funny movie to imagine being directed by mid-80s ridley scott but uh yeah i liked it a lot i'm going to shout out summer of soul this is a documentary that's on hulu it is directed by Questlove, the drummer from The Roots. And it's basically a concert film that is about this summer festival that took place in Harlem in the summer of 1969, which is the summer of Woodstock, also the summer we landed on the moon, the summer right after a couple like really high-profile assassinations, a, like a very turbulent time in American history I've also heard that this is when Indiana Jones five takes place. Hmm. So you can learn a little bit of real life history about the political stuff that'll be going on in Indiana Jones. (laughs) But the reason to watch this is because it is just this like fascinating festival of all kinds of famous soul performers kind of like on the precipice of going huge. Like you've got Nina Simone, you've got Stevie Wonder You've got Sly and the Family Stone and all of them perform so well. You get to see like this fully restored concert footage of the time. You also get to hear them talking about it. Like the emotional core of this movie to me, other than just being like a wonderful concert film with like unbelievably good style is that there are all of these people who are kids who went to it as kids and have like never heard or seen about the concert since who they show the footage to for the first time. And they all have like these really sweet emotional reactions to like something that was so important from their childhood that was Mm -hmm. kind of erased from the cultural memory. Like all of this footage was documented at the time and then nobody bought it and nobody wanted to put it out. So it sat in a basement for 50 years. It's very sweet, but mostly just a really good time. That's Summer of Soul.
0: I'm going to do a lightning round shout out here. Mm -hmm. We talked about them on the podcast already, Dune and Candyman. But I would just say those are the two movies that I remember seeing in theaters this year. Both of them well worth seeing in theaters. Both of them excellent films. I want to talk about Godzilla versus King Kong real quick. A kick-ass movie that I wish we had seen in theaters, but was still awesome to watch at home. I had seen some of the Godzilla King Kong recent movies that led into this one. Not all of them. You don't need to. It just rips watch it uh watch it on the biggest screen possible with the loudest like the volume turned up all the way it is classic cool action movie that you do not have to think about there's no annoying backstory stuff there's no like annoying connections to other things that you might have had to have seen there's no sense that it is important in any way it is just (laughs) some big dudes slugging it out over top of a massive city And it's awesome. (laughs) Last thing I want to talk about on this list is my experience, not of watching Zack Snyder's Justice League, because don't worry, dear listener, (laughs) I did not. But I did watch Wade watch Zack Snyder's Justice League. (laughs) And I would just briefly like to commemorate that experience. (laughs) So I get up one morning and... Wade says that he is he's already started watching the movie. It's already on. It's already been on for half an hour. And I'm like, oh, this looks like the first five minutes. Let me sit down and watch it with you. He's like, okay. So I watch like 20 minutes of it and like completely lost. It's gray. There's men just like diving into and out of very cold water and like growling at each other. It doesn't seem to to have a lot going on, but it is very serious. Like it's very serious. And then our friend Ruben comes over and is like, hey, man, you want to go get some lunch? I was like, yeah, let's go. We go out. We're gone for like two hours. We come back. The movie is still going on. (laughs) Uh, We are like, "Okay, let's walk the dog. We go out. We walk the dog. We're out for another hour. We come back. We're still in like the last. You're still like just getting to the climax of the movie. Finally, Wade, after like eight hours of watching this film, like he's just truly looked like completely miserable. He looked like he'd been through it. I think he had to have this like little things on his eyes that like keep the eyeballs open just so that he was could force to watch himself, forced himself to watch this thing. It was like Odysseus sailing past the sirens. I believe that Wade is the only person in the world to have actually watched this movie all the way through
1: and we should just give him props for that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. By far the worst score and soundtrack I heard in anything this year was just League. Oh, yeah. I think Wade described it as butt rock. <laughs> it was very bad. Laura, more movies? You mentioned Luca?
2: Oh, yeah. It's great. We talked about it last time I was on the pod as the gay fish movie, as Emmett put it. It was just very sweet. It made me cry. Probably my favorite animated movie since... Um, I guess maybe not, because I can't even remember the name. Trolls 2? No, the one about the Trolls? brothers. Oh, Onward. Onward.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah,
2: I felt like that was the last one to affect me so much, like Luca did. And it was just very sweet. Uh, I had family friends growing up, and their names... It was an Italian family, and their name, their kids' names were Luca and Julia. And those are the two kids' names in the film as well. Um, so that was really sweet. And... Yeah, just a very original Disney movie. It is Disney, right? I don't know. uh, So, yeah,
1: Pixar. Pixar Disney.
2: Oh, yeah, I forgot. Yeah, just, it's definitely a great, easy watch, very lighthearted. I think it'll make you very happy to watch it. We recently saw this as well, but Spencer, the Diana movie with Kristen Stort, I really enjoyed as well. I mean, it was a very slow movie, but it was done very well. So, it was still very enjoyable to watch just kind of uh, a look into her life. It was over the course of three days, which I thought was really cool. It didn't try to encompass her entire life like so many so many movies try and do about these public figures. I know mean, you had the Queen one last year we had Elton John and those ones took on mm-hmm. so much that it just became mm-hmm. so disorganized. And and I feel like Sp- Spencer just did such a good job. It was very beautiful to watch. The cinematography was very nice and Kristen Stewart's performance was amazing. I still feel like she's fighting This Twilight It's so sad because I feel like she's just going to be fighting that for so long, like her performance in Twilight, because every time I bring up this movie to people who don't really know more of her work, they're always like, oh, Kristen Stewart, like, oh, she was so bad in Twilight or whatever. Or she's so emotional. Like, I feel like it's so sad that she's still fighting that because whatever, she did it for a few years when she was younger. And I don't even think she did like a bad job in those movies. But her performance in this will change your mind about that. She really transformed. Like, it was incredible.
1: Yeah, some cool horror vibes in that as well. Yeah.
2: There was some interesting parts of horror too, yeah.
1: I also want to shout out that Sean Harris, who plays the overarching bad guy in the Mission Impossible, is like the creepiest, weirdest, most unsettling performance in those movies. This year gave these two incredibly warm performances. As the chef in Spencer... And as King Arthur in The Green Knight. Yeah. (laughs) These very sort of like haunted but compassionate and warm performances. Mm -hmm. And I think he's amazing in both of those movies, and I want to see him do more stuff. I want to give a shout out to a trilogy of movies, which is the Fear Street trilogy. Now, Mm -hmm. these three movies are adapted from R. L. Stein's Fear Street books. Obviously, he has the Goosebumps books, which are sort of like G-rated horror. And he also wrote these Fear Street books, which are sort of like PG-13 a high school age horror. Mm -hmm. The movies themselves are very hard R. Mm. It is set in one town and it takes place at three different periods in history about bad things that happened in this town. And they're also very kind of each in the style of a different era of horror filmmaking. So the first one is set in the nineties and it's kind of a scream style horror movie. The second one is set uh, in the seventies at a camp and is a Friday, the 13th style Mm -hmm. horror movie. And the third one is set in the 1600s at like a religious community. And is very much like an elevated a 24 style horror movie. These were originally meant to release in theaters, In summer 2020, they were going to put them in theaters one each month. So, like, one in May, one in June, one in July. They ended up being sold to Netflix, and Netflix put them out one each week. They're good. They're not great. The writing, especially, is, like, a little bit rough. But I am just, like, so fascinated by that release model of, like, shooting three, like, actually separate. Like, it's not, like, a long movie. It's not a TV show. Mm -hmm. It is, like, three movies, that they shot back-to-back and then released kind of all in a row for you to watch like that. I just think that's really fascinating and I want to see more experiments with the way that movies are being released and paced and everything. Like, it was really cool to watch that. Yes, the last one I want to shout out before we get into my list is just a sweet little movie called Together Together. It is about Ed Helms plays a straight single man in his 40s who wants to have a child. So he has has a child via surrogacy and it is about him and Patty Harrison, who's also a comedian who plays uh, the surrogate mother of his child. And it's about the relationship between them. It's kind of like a sweet, low-key indie rom-com, but it's more of like a friend-com. Hmm. it's about these two people who have this like very weird relationship and like slowly get to know each other and become more intimate with each other and like go through this pregnancy together while being sort of like a woman in her early twenties and a weird part of her life. And like a man in his mid forties and a weird part of his life. Hmm. I think you're a little worried it might go some places and it never does, but it is still like very rich and emotionally deep.
2: Yeah, I feel like those characters are also worried it might go someplace, you know, like Mm -hmm. you're with them and that's like always a fear or a thought and you know, like you feel that too with them and I agree, like it's just, it's a very unique story. I feel like we don't see a lot of like stories about surrogate mothers or that journey and like what that actually does like emotionally and mentally and physically to people who are willing to do that and just like the absolute sacrifice that that is and how beautiful that is and... Yeah, it was it was really, really cool. Also, Julio Torres makes a little cameo in that. Oh, I and he is forgot. so yes. funny. I wish he was in it more. Um, yeah. He's just like her friend who works with her at a cafe and is just has so much sass. And th- there is a lot of funny moments in that movie, but he just really steals the show every time he's on the screen. He's so good. I really enjoyed that movie, too, though.
0: Would you say it is a better or worse movie about surrogacy than Baby Mama starring Tina Fey and Amy Poehler?
2: (laughs) I've never seen that, but uh, I would say probably it is better than that (laughs) as someone who has not seen it. (laughs) Just a hunch.
0: All right. Shall we get into it? Talk about these top 10, which somehow Wade has
1: turned into a top 11. (laughs) Yes, let's let's get into my list. Uh, now, this is, I, I want to say, my favorite films of 2021 as of December 15th, 2021. Obviously, we said there's stuff I haven't seen. I'll put out my actual list on January 1st. But as of the moment, and I think this reflects more like the actual vast majority of the year and not sort of like the dump of prestige awardee dramas that all come out in December. Mm -hmm. Here we go. And it's my list and there are no rules. So I've put two number 10s (laughs) because I can do whatever. Number 10 of 2021 is Licorice Pizza. This is the new movie from Paul Thomas Anderson. It is a period piece set in the 1970s in Los Angeles. It is about a child actor played by Cooper Hoffman, the son of the late Philip Seymour Hoffman, and a photographer played by Alana Haim of the band Haim. They're both great in it. This movie to me is about this like very honest feeling that definitely happened to me in my life where in your teenage years, you can be like totally 100% sure of, where your life is going to go and what you're going to do with it and be like so driven, just be like certain of everything. And then in your twenties, you could be like totally completely lost and have no idea what you're doing or why you're doing it or how to do it. And this movie is about that in a 15 year old child actor and a 25 year old photographer who fall in love, but can't be in love and can't be together because of their age difference So instead, they put all of that energy into doing a bunch of weird get rich quick schemes across one summer in L.A. And the movie is less sort of like an overarching plot and more of these like very sweet, very funny, like 20 minute escapades of different things they're doing to get rich, like trying to capitalize on waterbeds or pinball machines or any other weird variety of stuff. And I think this movie, yeah, is just like warm and sweet and funny. It's weirdly paced like a lot of the Paul Thomas Anderson stuff I've seen. But in the last like 10 minutes, it got me pretty emotional and also has a great co-starring performance as a truly unhinged Bradley Cooper. (laughs) Number 10, again, a tie. Number 10 is The Mitchells versus The Machines. This is an animated movie on Netflix. It is about a film nerd very much like us. In fact, there is a wonderful scene where you get to see her film Mount Rushmore. And there is the face of Greta Gerwig carved into the side of Mount Rushmore.
0: As it should be.
1: (laughs) As it should be. A young film nerd who is going off to school in California, leaving her kind of weirdo family where she doesn't feel like she belongs behind and finds out to her horror the morning of her going to college that they canceled her flight and are going to drive her on a five-day road trip to California. And over the course of that road trip, the robot apocalypse happens, and they are the only humans left alive, not being controlled by the robots, and they have to try and save the world and get her to college in time.
2: Also, the main character, Katie, is voiced by Abby Jacobson, who I'm a big fan of. She's in Broad City. Katie is like the first queer protagonist in an animated big film, Hmm. which is really cool.
1: It's hilarious. It's really awesomely animated. It's from the studio who did Into the Spider-Verse. So it's got a lot of the same like actually doing different styles of animation in it. That's cool. Listeners of our podcast will probably particularly like a lot of the weird film jokes in it. And uh, it has an amazing climactic battle set to live your life by Rihanna <laughs> and T.I., which is like truly jaw-dropping. So That's highly awesome. recommended. Number nine, Tick, Tick, Boom. This is another Netflix movie. It is directed by Lin-Manuel Miranda. It stars Andrew Garfield as Jonathan Larson, and it is, who is the creator of Rent. And this is a... Film adaptation of his other musical that he wrote before Rent called Tick Tick Boom, which is semi-autobiographical. So you get to see the things happening in his life as he's writing it and also like all the performances from it. Um, Set in like a very gritty 90s New York where he's trying to break into the theater scene.
2: Emma, I think you should watch this. I think you would Mm -hmm. really enjoy it. It talks a lot about like the struggle between pursuing your art and wanting to do that so badly and then also like the realities of providing for yourself Mm
1: -hmm. and
2: whether or not people who are also artists are going to judge you for like getting a job that Mm -hmm. takes you away somewhat from your art but might like provide for you financially and just like the two main characters one of which being jonathan larson and then also his friend kind of have this battle where his friend goes and, and works for marketing and advertising or something and but they always used to perform for each other and Jonathan Larson's character, Jonathan Larson, not a character. Jonathan Larson is like pursuing his art so heavily, but him doing that is also, he's having to sacrifice even just like the relationships in his life and Mm -hmm. his art sometimes comes so much before the people he loves. So it's just a very, very interesting dynamic that I think we all struggle with as artists and seeing that portrayed it was very is very emotional and very real.
1: I will say to that overarching point like it is I found it like very existentially punishing to mm. watch this movie. Yeah. Like it is a movie about like the constant fight between being a functioning person and being an artist and like the way that infects all of your relationships. And I definitely watched this movie and thought it was like a very brutal hard look at the honesty of that. And mm-hmm. then I've heard other people say that it is like a horror movie about how you should never be friends with an artist. <laughs> Which <laughs> yeah, I like, also yeah. get that perspective. Yeah. If this is not what you do of watching this movie, like how much of a horrible person he can seem like in some moments. But I think it's really well done. It's also got like an unbelievable amount of musical theater cameos. It is the yeah. Avengers Endgame of musical theater. And he is so good in it. Like- yeah. It's his performance is amazing. I hope we'll be talking about it more come Oscar watch. Sweet uh, number eight, A Quiet Place Part Two. This is John Krasinski returning to the director's chair for a, a a direct continuation. A movie that starts kind of with a twenty minute prologue before the first movie and then continues immediately from the moment the first movie ended.
2: Yeah, it just slaps. Just slaps so hard. Yeah. (laughs) Sequels. Sequels just like are so hard to stand on their own even or have some something original. And I feel like I always go into sequels a little bit scared, especially when the first one was so, so good. And this was kind of partially a prequel. Like it had a lot of flashbacks as well. Hmm. In the style of the first one, you know, that on the edge of your seat horror, but also like very intense action And they found, like John Quincy found new ways to bring that same feeling of the first one. And it was still very exciting. And yeah, I remember just leaving that movie and having so many, so much to think about and being very, very excited about what I had seen.
1: Yeah, it rocks so much. It's just a thrill ride horror movie. Not to be reductive, but I would say this is the best Jurassic Park movie I've seen since (laughs) The Lost World. Like. (laughs) It's unbelievably good. And it is in that style of like thrill ride horror monster sequences of like a family you Uh care about trying to get past a monster. Damn. And I feel like for all the talk of like the new class of guys that learn stuff from Spielberg and are putting it into these movies, like Mm -hmm. Krasinski in this movie does it better than I've seen anyone else do it. Yeah. Like the Spielberg influence. A small thing I want to call out. This movie does what the Star Wars movies do in their third acts, which is where you have three battles all happening at the same time and you're Uh cross-cutting between. Uh They're all sort of like getting worse and then crescendoing at the exact same time. Uh This movie does that for its entire middle act where the family is split up Uh and they're each going through something horrible And you have like a 30 minute sequence of watching all three of these happen at the same time. And it is like so thrilling and exciting. And then that ends. And then there's like two minutes of downtime. And then it does it again. (laughs) (laughs) Where there is once again, three insane battles of like entirely different settings and threats going against these characters. This is also a movie that starts with a child character you love In a world where people cannot make noise or they will die. A child character you love stepping in a bear trap. You see his foot get destroyed and then he screams the loudest anyone has ever screamed. So, you know, like from frame one of this movie that anyone can get hurt, that it is going to go there. And it is like just such a tense watch. So well directed.
2: That's the same like as the her stepping on the nail in the
1: first one. It's uh-huh. like the shivers, just like, the oh, have a feet pain. Absolutely horrible. Damn. Damn. Uh, number seven, No Time to Die. The last James Bond movie starring Daniel Craig, the end of his five movie run, uh, directed by Kerry Joji Fukunaga, originally supposed to be directed, among many other people, by Denny Villeneuve. And it is, in some ways, very similar to a Denny Villeneuve movie in that it is very long. It's like almost three hours long. And there are so many practical effects. Like it just looks amazing and is set in a very real world. Just like, it's great. Like you can see so much care that Daniel Craig put into this movie and this character. It was written by Phoebe Waller-Bridge and in many ways it feels like Fleabag season three. And I know that that is like a weird premise for a James Bond movie, but it works. They make it work. And I love... uh, Rami Malek, who's a guy I'm so, so on, is the bad guy in this. And I think that, like, he plays it just right. What I love about this movie is that it does the Last Crusade Logan thing where it's not the greatest adventure he ever went on. It's just the last one. Mm -hmm. Like, it is not that they have that they're trying to blow up the world. It's not that this villain is connected to everything that's happened in all the other series. Mm-hmm. Like this adventure is notable because it is the last time the James Bond is suiting up to go out there. Mm. And so it's like small in a way that really works. The, the criticism you could have of this movie is that it's too long. It is too long, but the only thing that you could cut is the best sequence of the movie which is this like 20 minute sequence in the first act, kind of disconnected from anything else, with Ana de Armas as like another Cuban spy who he's working with as they have this like great infiltration of a bad guy's lair. I think that's another thing, like many things in this movie, that's just there because Daniel Craig loves Ana de Armas and worked with her on Knives Out mm-hmm. and was like, she can be a great spy. <laughs> and she's there in the best sequence of the movie.
2: Yeah. I'm definitely more in the middle ground of this. Yes, my critique is it's too long. I feel like they could have cut something else. I just don't think an action movie needs to be so long, personally.
1: Yeah. Okay, number six, Judas and the Black Messiah. Uh, This is another movie from Warner Brothers that's on HBO Max now. It's a biop. It's a weird way into a biopic. But it's about Fred Hampton, who was the founder of the Chicago chapter of the Black Panthers, was just 21 years old, trying to do a lot of things in his community, and ended up kind of being profiled by the FBI. The FBI does not have good intentions with him, and he's played by Daniel Kaluuya here. But the movie is about Lakeith Stanfield, who's playing Bill O'Neill, a man who is sort of blackmailed by the FBI into infiltrating the Black Panthers and working very closely with thre- uh, Fred. And like spending a year of his life being a part of them while also being a traitor. So there's all this like crime thriller stuff of like, are they on to him? Is he going to get caught? Is he starting to believe in this cause? Because he isn't like someone who believes in the FBI, just someone who's being sort of coerced into doing this.
0: I loved this movie. The two lead performances in this are some of the best performances you've ever seen. Daniel Kaluuya, especially with like the way that he studied for that and uh, for that role and everything it is just, just really impressive and it's a tragic story it's in American history of the government perpetrating violence against black people for trying to organize in a way that is just benefiting a community that has been oppressed by the government and by white supremacist culture in the country for forever and people trying to, do good, being villainized, and then picked off by the FBI. You know, like, this is a a very important episode in American history that we should be talking about. Like, you should be taught this in school, and I feel like a lot of people are not. A lot of people are, like, only shown this image of the Black Panthers as being, like, this scary, like, gangster force, where really, like, most of the work that they were doing was positive community building sort of work and so yeah i think it's um it's a very good movie there should be more movies about uh fred hampton and the black panthers in general this is a really excellent one and as you said like a very tense not just like a prestige important movie drama but like a very tense crime thriller as well um where you really do sympathize with both lead characters
1: number five The French Dispatch of the Liberty, Kansas Evening Sun. This is the newest film from Wes Anderson. It is his first live action film in seven years since the Grand Budapest Hotel, which is my favorite of his. I mean, I'm not going to talk about it too long because I'm the only one who has seen it. And it is kind of like, if you like Wes Anderson, you will like this. Mm -hmm. If you don't, you will not. I really like Wes Anderson. I really loved this. And I think it is in some small, subtle ways, like really interestingly pushing his way forward. Hmm. Like I think there's a little more modern political stuff. I think there's a little more nudity and sexuality and him working with like a person of color for the first time as a major character, which are all like small ways to push it forward. But like, you know what it is. It's a gorgeous, practical, whimsical ensemble of 30 great actors sort of joking their way through a story. And this one is is an anthology movie. It's about a magazine, a fictional magazine called The French Dispatch. And this is their last issue. So they're kind of taking you through the feature pieces of the issue. The best one to me is about Jeffrey Wright, who is playing a James Baldwin-esque character, who is writing a culture piece about this Japanese chef when a child gets kidnapped and he gets pulled into like this big action set piece in the middle of this dinner he's doing. And Jeffrey Wright is just so good in it. It's so cool to see something like that in a Wes Anderson movie. It's kind of like framed by this interview that Jeffrey Wright is giving after the fact with, now I can't think of his name, Emmett's favorite actor, Liev Schreiber. Oh, no way. Who is also great in this movie and is playing a talk show host like Scream, but is like a very funny talk show host. Anyway, this movie is charming and wonderful. Little small movements forward, but basically, if you like live-action Wes Anderson, this is another good live-action Wes Anderson. Uh, Number four, The Harder They Fall. This is a Western on Netflix with an incredible cast. Jonathan Majors as the lead. Idris Elba and Regina King as the bad guys. Uh, Zazie Beetz, Lakeith Stanfield, Delroy Lindo, all in there as the crew.
2: I mean, this is another one that just slaps. It's so good. I don't even, I don't like Westerns. I've had to watch a lot of them. I took like one film class in high school and we watched through so many Westerns and, you know, they're just slow and they just drone on. And I don't, I'm not a fan of them, but this one was still very true to the style of Westerns, which I loved. Yeah. But it never felt slow because it was done so well. Mm. I really enjoyed everyone's performances and the music. The, I mean, the director of the film, I don't remember his name, but um has done like music videos
1: um yeah. and is a very James Samuel.
2: Yeah, he's very involved in music making and the way he used music in this was so incredible. Lots of great needle drops, but also just incorporated these characters. There's one scene where these characters kind of just start singing. It seems very natural and it evokes a lot of emotion. And just the way he uses music throughout the whole movie is great, but he uses it not only as like a soundtrack, but also as part of the script. Mm. You know, it's not just music we're hearing, but there's also music that the characters are sharing with each other. Yeah, and the, the action and fights and everything... Very, very cool. Yeah, it's definitely one of my favorites of the year as well. It was so good.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. It is more of a faithful Western than you would guess from the marketing. And it also has like this historical point that it's making, which is that every character in it is an actual historical figure. Jonathan Majors is playing Nat Love and they're talking about the fact that like a quarter of the Wild West were in fact Black cowboys. And we don't talk about that a lot. And all of that stuff is super interesting and pretty historically accurate, but like it is just a good Western. Like it is a faithful Western. It's going to be a little slow. It's going to be bloody. So you got to be okay with that. It is not a movie where you're waiting the whole time for it to pop off, but once it pops off, it over delivers. Like it brings it so much in a way that you are not prepared for once it finally kicks into high gear in the last half an hour, 40 minutes, I would say. So I absolutely love that. Number three, In the Heights. Uh, This is a stage musical by Lin-Manuel Miranda brought to the screen by John M. Cho, the director of Crazy Rich Asians. Another director who kind of came from music videos. I think the acting is good in this. I think the songs are good. But like, really, what I love about this movie is the style of it, which I think is just unbelievably cool. It is like a movie where everything in the world is moving to the beat of the music the whole time. It's so colorful. I think that there is just like something magical, especially in COVID era of like actually seeing a hundred people in a street dancing, something they all learned together. That's what I loved so much about it. Laura, what did you think of this?
2: I really enjoyed Crazy Rich Asians and was very excited going into this because of how colorful and beautiful and just exciting Crazy Rich Asians was to watch. And I did feel the same way about In the Heights. It just makes you realize how much life and color you could put into a movie. And it's just so, it's not oversaturated or anything. It's just really exciting to watch. There's so much going on, but it's still done in a really good way. It probably wouldn't have landed so high on my list, but the stylization is really good. I wasn't a big fan of like everyone's performances or the entire adaptation, but I did really like the stylization as well.
1: It is so good styled. It is such a good like summer movie, which is why I really liked it. And in terms of performances, I do want to say uh, Corey Hawkins, who I've only seen in, he's in Kong Skull Island. He's in uh, uh, Straight out of Compton. He's in a lot of stuff, but not, I've never seen him in a musical before. But He plays Benny and he is so good at it. Okay, number two, West Side Story. West Side Story is a musical that was written In 1957, it's the first musical written by Stephen Sondheim, who did the lyrics for it and who we lost this year. It is a retelling of Romeo and Juliet set in 1957, New York, about gang warfare between a poor white gang and a gang of Puerto Rican immigrants and the racial tensions between them and a couple who kind of try and reach over the lines Mm -hmm. to fall in love with each other. Now, this was made into a 1961 film first, which won Best Picture at the Oscars is kind of like regarded as being one of the most beautiful movies ever. Also, the unfortunate thing, all but one of the Puerto Rican cast are white people. They're all wearing like heavy makeup and doing these... Horrible, horrible accents, which are just like not an actual accent, like not (laughs) the way that anyone actually talks. But I rewatched the original before going in and seeing this. And I will say like the original is without hyperbole, the most beautiful looking movie I've ever seen. Like just the visual stuff that they do in this movie is insane. But again, the story, the songs, the performances, you know, some of them are good. Some of them not so great. Now, 60 years later, a young up-and-coming director named Steven Spielberg has decided to remake this or more just do another film of the musical. This is his first ever musical. I think he very smartly does not do any of the things that work well in the first one. The first one is so colorful and beautiful. This is like a gritty, brutal movie set in a poor slum of New York that is being demolished to be turned into Lincoln center. Steven has like a fire, like a righteous fury about the way that these people are being like neglected and about how like the government is the real problem that is turning them against each other that is depicted as they're like literally in the rubble of their neighborhoods that are being torn down. Hmm. The other thing about like the first movie is the dance fighting that everyone knows There is no dance fighting in this. It is like a violent, bloody movie where heads get busted open and nails get driven through ears. The screenplay by Tony Kushner has like completely remixed it. Like the songs are in a completely different order, sung by different people in different contexts than what they are in the original musical. And it is like the same basic story, but being told in such a different way. And I absolutely adored it.
2: I really liked the changes that were made. Something when I think when I'm watching the first one is this story is so sad, but they just didn't make me care about these characters enough to where I am like heartbroken for them. You know, like I recognize while I'm watching the first one that this is a very sad story. This has a really tragic ending and, you know, I'm sad. But when I watched that, I wanted to care so much more about these characters. And I think this film really makes you do that gives them a little bit more of a backstory. It develops the relationships a little bit more. Yeah. That really makes you care. I mean, I was sobbing in the movie theater at the end, which is not usually how I react to the first one. There is a dance battle. They don't do dance fights, but there is a dance battle. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's very, it's silly. It's interesting. Yeah, I think this does a beautiful job of staying very true to the original while somehow like creating a very new thing at the same time, which I think is very hard to do. Yeah, I will say Ansel Elgort did not fit into this movie. Very wet blanket performance. Yeah, everyone else was wonderful.
1: Yeah, I just want to say I could do a whole episode about West Side Story, but I love it. I think everyone watch the first one first because you will appreciate like the things that they change and subvert in the new one. But it's like so good, so smart. I think you would really like it, Emmett, just because there's like so much good blocking Mm -hmm. and like directing that Spielberg has done here. That I know you would appreciate. Uh, and also because the Romeo and Juliet stuff is really good. It's like nice. one of the most compelling adaptations. Like Riff and Bernardo, the Mercutio and Tybalt characters uh-huh. are both so strong. And uh, like sweet. kind of the leads of this. Okay, number one, my movie of the year, The Green Knights. This is a, a fairly faithful adaptation of an Arthurian poem It is kind of fittingly set at Christmas and it is about uh, Dev Patel as Sir Gawain in this movie, the nephew of King Arthur, the son of Morgan Le Fay, I believe, Mm -hmm. who has just sort of like spent his 20s not really doing much. One day, a giant green knight comes into the middle of a Christmas feast with a challenge. He says, if anyone, he will let anyone hit him wherever they want with the sword as long as he in one year next Christmas can hit them in the same place. And Gawain sees this as an opportunity to sort of like get some notoriety, make something of his life, rises to the challenge, cuts the Green Knight's head off thinking that he's outsmarted him. And then the Green Knight picks up his head, laughs, says, I'll see you in a year and rides out. Uh, and then we sort of pick up a year later as Gawain has to decide if he wants to be a knight and make the long trek into the wilderness in order to get his head chopped off. I'll throw this to Emmett first because I know you're a huge King Arthur guy. What did you make of this?
0: This was the coolest movie I had seen in so long. All the, first off, all the performances are, are just excellent. Um, Mm -hmm. so like from an acting standpoint great the directing in the this movie is creepy it's ghostly it feels like it's set in a very real world but then that world gets super weird and as things get stranger and stranger wade had the comment i think this is really interesting about you can really feel how king arthur and those people are like a christian people in an Mm -hmm. age that is not that is not fully christianized yet in, in a, world, like, a pagan in a pagan magical
1: world, world. Yeah. yeah
0: and that is kind of like what the arthur legend is about in some senses is a like is about the christianization of england i think this movie accurately depicts that as like a violent destructive process that like it, you see like these forests just like being cut and burned away like you just see like this ruin and wreckage of the land and as he goes deep, farther and farther away from that society like the green of the wood like surrounds him more and more it has some weird time shift stuff in it that I think is really interesting
1: mm-hmm.
0: and also it inspired me to go and read in the original original middle English the poem by Anonymous wow. who you might know from their work on the internet recently but I actually like the older <laughs> stuff better I read it in the original Middle English, and I just want to read you this brief passage, which I think is like some of the most beautiful sounds I've ever heard. It's not going to sound super recognizable. I'm going to do my best here. I don't really know how they're supposed to sound. I'm just going to go for it. But this is a description passage of the year right after Gawain has made his deal, and he knows that in a year it's going to come around to when he has to go again. After the season of summer with the soft winds, when Zephyrus sifles himself on seeds and herbs, well a wind is the wort that waxes thereout, when the dunkened dew drops of the leaves to bide a blissful blush of the bright sun. But then hies harvest and hardens him soon, warns him for the winter to wax full ripe, he dries with draught the dust for to rise for the face of the fold to fly full high. Wroth wind of the welkin wrassles with the sun, The leaves loosen for the lind and lighten on the ground, And all graze the grass that green was air, Then all ripes and rots that rose upon first, And thus yearns the year and yesterday's many, And winter winds again, as the world asks, No phage, till Meglemus' moan was coming with winter wage, Then thanks Gawain full sown of his Aeneas voyage.
1: which just
0: to me (laughs) sounds like a magical incantation of like adventure. Loved it.
2: I just think a sign of a really good movie is when you leave the theater with the people you saw it with. You all just stand there and talk about it and take it in. And I feel like we just had Wade and I saw it um, with a group of people and we just all had such different thoughts and some similar thoughts and we just had some really great conversation about it. And it was very exciting to talk about it. We were all very excited. And I felt that way the second time I watched it too. It is just such a fun journey to go along with. Yeah, it feels, it's very magical.
1: And I really enjoyed it. One of the high points of the movie, there are many, is the ending, which is like a 15 minute wordless Mm -hmm. sequence, Mm -hmm. which I'm not going to spoil, but I think that it is sort of like, in some ways, a movie that you you will take what you get out of it. You know, like it is less a movie with a clear moral it's jamming down your throat and more a movie that is like really open to the journey you want to take with it. And for me, I thought that it was a really powerful movie about like the value of doing the hard thing. Hmm. And I think that ending sort of reinforces that like you don't have to do the hard thing. You can... Do the thing that is easier and feels better for you in the moment. But like there is value in doing the thing that is difficult and like massively changes your life that you don't want to do, which in this case is going going on this journey to get killed, basically. Encountering all these different adventures along the way that go back to like the knight's code or like the val the virtues of a knight that they each are like testing him in some way. But yeah, I think that it is like a deep beautiful slow burn of a movie movie of the year. I definitely, I, I had an internal conversation about whether West side story or green Knight mm. were my number one. But I think at the end of the day, like West side story ends on such a bleak note and the green Knight I think ends on a hopeful note. And that's why I liked it. I want to end not with a quiz, but more of just a little poll casting our eyes forward Uh i've called this the 2022 hype train poll i'm just going to go down the calendar for a couple of the notable releases of 2022 and i just want all of us to say on a scale of one to five how excited we are to see some of the films coming next year january 14th scream five eight wow next i would say a four for me
2: Okay, didn't you guys both cover all the screen movies? You're not even excited to see that. Okay, anyways. It's on, keep a, scale going. It's on oh. a
1: scale to five. It's on a scale to five. I was like, really? Wow, this is I'm your most not- anticipated movie of the year. I thought it was <laughs> one to ten.
2: ten. Who does one to five? Okay, then I'm going to say a four as well. <laughs> okay, I understand now. Please, we can keep going.
1: <laughs> February 18th, Uncharted. The adaptation of the classic half, video game. Half a star. <laughs> with Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg. Literally so zero. Zero. Um, I'll say a two <laughs> for me. March 4th, The Batman. Five.
2: Five. First Batman movie. I'm excited.
1: Uh, four. I'm really excited for the cast. I'm worried that it's going to be a bummer. <laughs> like, I'm worried that it's just going to be so bleak and dark. But I hope that's not the case. April 8th bullet train this is the new original action movie by the guy david leach the guy who made um atomic blonde and hobbs and shaw it's got brad pitt sandra bullock bad bunny brian tyree henry a big cast was supposed to be gaga until she left it to do house of gucci and got replaced by sandra bullock four
0: I'd say two
1: i'd say a five this is one of my most oh, anticipated of the year and I haven't seen a frame of it. Just love the guy, want more good action movies. April eighth, Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Zero. Four. Five. <laughs> Sorry. It's really, it's really five. I lied. It's really five. <laughs> that that's a movie that like I feel no like rush to see it. When I see it, I know it'll be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. April 15th, Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore.
2: I love Harry Potter more than both of you, and like enough already, you know. But uh, three. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'll go with a three as well. It can't be worse than Crimes of Grindelwald. <laughs> so I'm interested to see what they're going to do next.
1: I'll also park it as a three, and I'll say, I'm not afraid to say, I like both of those Fantastic Beast movies. <laughs> April 22nd, The Northman. This is uh, the new Robert Eggers movie, Following the Witch in the Lighthouse. It is a Viking revenge story starring Anya Taylor Joy. That's oh an eight for gosh.
2: me. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna say. on a
1: scale of one to five.
2: <laughs> um, <laughs> four and a half.
1: A five for me as well. May sixth, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Old Sam Raimi to deter- returning to the directing chair for another horror influenced superhero movie. Probably a one go with a two on that i'll kick it to a four worried that it's doing too much but excited to see it may 27th the bob's burgers movie
2: (laughs) five i don't need to hear anymore five
0: (laughs) amazing i'm deeply dubious about that i'll put it at a three i love
1: the show but i why would they make a movie do you remember the simpsons movie (laughs) uh mostly a three june 10th jurassic world dominion It's got the cast of the first movie back for the first time since the first movie and also the cast of the Jurassic World movies kind of tying up the whole franchise, supposedly. I'll give that a four. I'll say a three. I think it'll probably be bad, but I'm excited (laughs) to see it. I also think that they have like finally gotten to what they were trying to do with the first Jurassic World movie. Mm -hmm. Like, (laughs) so I hope they have something cool to do with it. June 17th. Lightyear. No. (laughs) Two. I'll also go with two. July 1st, (laughs) Minions, The Rise of Gru. Five. I mean, if I were to see this movie, I'm sure I would rate it a 10 out of 10.
0: But I probably am not going to seek this movie out. So I'm going to say four.
1: (laughs) I'm going to say four as well. July 7th, Thor, Love and Thunder from Bumtober winner Taika Waititi.
0: Probably a five. Probably be good. I'm medium hyped for that. I'd say four.
1: Yeah, I'd probably say a four too. Everything I've heard about this movie is truly insane. So I hope <laughs> that it sticks together. July 22nd. Nope. Five. five. Yeah, five for me as well. September 23rd. Don't worry, darling. This is the... Five. This is the second movie from Olivia, director Olivia Wilde who did one of my favorite movies. Emmett, it's Smart. Harry Styles and Florence Pugh. Oh no, that's a that's a six at least. It is a uh, '60s druggy love triangle between call, Harry Styles, call it a seven. Harry Styles, Florence Pugh, and Chris Pine. Wait, no, that's an eight. <laughs> uh, yeah, again, this is I would say my other most anticipated five for me. September 30th, Mission Impossible Seven. I know Zero. you guys have not really seen most of these yet. I haven't seen One. any of them.
0: I hope we. I hope we watch some of those movies and that i do get hype
1: about it i hope so too five for me can't wait uh october 7th spider-man across the spider-verse oh part one five a three uh i'll say a five as well november 11th black panther wakanda forever a big question mark about (laughs) how they're going to accomplish this movie
2: also didn't the girl who plays the sister not she can't film it because she didn't get vaccinated.
1: Yeah, there. she was like a big anti-vaxxer, but then she got injured on set and they like had to stop for like three months. So there's been, it's kind of a cursed production.
2: I feel like it'll probably get pushed back.
0: I'm going to say three because I feel like it's not going to, like I want to see it. I'm interested, but I don't think it's going to, I think it's going to be kind of a downer because of all because especially because of missing Chadwick Boseman on it.
2: I need to see some trailers or something. Probably like a two right now.
1: Yeah, I agree. Two right now. December 16th, Avatar 2. If this movie actually comes out, <laughs> I am, I it's a five. Because the
0: last time an Avatar movie came out, I think I was in middle school. And even then he was threatening to do... More, five more, or six more, or however many more until he dies, until he gets that unobtainium of the final Avatar movie. It can't be worse than the first one. No, it probably can. Yeah, I'm excited to see what kind of massive CGI belly flop this is going to be.
2: <laughs> probably like a zero. My only experience with Avatar is the ride in Disney World, which
1: was fun. A one for me. December 21st, <laughs> Mario. That's a zero for me, chief.
2: I have no words. It will never top the original Mario Brothers movie.
1: My excitement for this movie, a two. My excitement to talk about this movie with Zane and Patrick, a five. Nice. <laughs> uh, and ending on December 25th, Babylon. I know this is a movie you probably haven't heard much about yet, but it's Damien Chazelle's new film, who's the man who did Whiplash and La La Land historical hollywood drama starring brad pitt margot robbie olivia wilde and toby mcguire zero
2: <laughs> so i'm gonna go with five nice. <laughs> i'll say
1: it too lots to look forward to including <laughs> next week in the new year we'll be back talking about our favorite old movies we watched for the first time in 2021 thanks everyone at home for listening to us this year we love you all. Yeah. Thanks thanks to you, Emmett. Thanks to you, Laura, for doing so much for the podcast this year. Yeah, thank you, Laura.
2: Happy holidays, everyone.
0: Happy holidays, everyone. And stay frosted the snowman.
1: <laughs> Cinema Bums is a production of DKG Podcast. It is created and produced by Emmett Temple and me, Wade Lawrence-Holliman. I also edit and mix the podcast. Our theme music is by Zane Holloman, who you can find on Bandcamp. And our show art is by Autumn Beckner. Our social media is managed by Laura Bennett. If you like what you hear, please tell all your friends and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, the two best ways to spread the word about our work. You can also follow us on Instagram at Cinemabums or email us at cinemabumspod at gmail.com. Don't flake on us. We'll be back next week.